Um, uh, let me read the passage we are looking at. As I said, I'm going to be reading uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 18 today. Let me read this out for us. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the day, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud walk command, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is God's word. Allow me to just pray for a moment before we uh, dive into the sermon. Father, we pray in the name of your son, Christ Jesus. I pray that you will help us during the next 30 minutes to stare at death in its face. And come out victorious, Lord, because of our faith in Jesus. Help us to look at death without fear. Help us to see the beauty of what you have prepared for us beyond death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to draw three things for us from this passage. First, I want to look at how do we live in the knowledge of death? Second, I want to look at how do we grieve in the moment of death? And third, how do we hope for what lies beyond death? Three things. How do we live in the knowledge of death? How do we grieve at the moment of death? And how do we hope for what lies beyond death? Those are three things we're going to draw out from this passage. First, I want to look at how do we live in the knowledge of death. How do we live? We all know we're going to die one day. But how do we live in the knowledge of death? Uh, some time ago, I heard this uh, pastor uh, use an illustration. I found that very helpful. So I'm going to share that. And this pastor talked about a party. It's just an illustration. He talked about a man walking into a party, the host of the party, coming into the party. Everybody's having a good time. Uh, everybody's having fun, laughing. It's a great party. He's very happy with the way the party is going. But he comes and he shares something shocking. He walks in and he says, by midnight today, all of us are going to be dead. And everybody in the party realizes that he's speaking the truth, that he knows this is what's going to happen. And then, how do you think, this pastor asks in the illustration, how do you think the people are going to respond? The first thing people are going to try and do is, hey, how do we stop this? Okay, can this be stopped? And if they figure out and realize that this cannot be stopped, the second thing is, hey, what, what do we know? What do we need to set right? Uh, uh, you know, how do we set right the wrongs that, that we've done? Those are the kind of things people are going to be thinking of. Do you think anybody is going to say, can you pass me that bag of chips, please? Nobody's going to do that. Absolutely nobody's going to do that. Now, that was just an illustration, and I can assure you that death is not imminent. 
But death is certain. Death may not be close to us, but it is certain. And the question is, how are we living in the knowledge of the certainty of death? In the, knowledge, in the light of the certainty of death, are we, are we kind of living responsibly or are we reaching out to another bag of chips? As a culture, we, we don't talk about death all that much. Yeah, I don't at all mean that we should talk about death in a morbid or, or a fearful or a depressive sort of a way. Not at all. But, but I do believe uh, there is a place where we do need to kind of talk about death uh, intelligently and, and, and wisely. And, and I really believe, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, that, that hey, we do have a responsibility to think about death. Now, there are many reasons we don't like to think about death. We don't like to think about death because it's sad, because it's painful. Maybe some of us have lost a loved one. Maybe that pain, even though it happened many years ago, maybe it still hurts us. Talking about death is painful. Talking about death is just bleak. And those are very valid reasons not to talk about death. But there's another reason we don't like to think about death or talk about it. We don't think or talk about death because thinking about death will force us to change the way we live. And we don't think about death because we don't want to change the way we live. We love that bag of chips way too much to want to change the way we live. And that's the first thing. Am I frozen, Aji? Can you hear me? You're frozen now. Just give us a minute, I said, guys. I'm not there. The Wi-Fi was dead. It's back up again. <laughs> Sorry about that. I hope people can hear me uh, uh, clearly at the moment. Yeah, I was just saying, sorry about that. The first thing I was saying is, the first thing that we're drawing from this passage is how do we live in the knowledge of the certainty of it? And, and the answer to that question is that we, is that we quite often we live in the knowledge of death by ignoring it, by pretending that it doesn't exist. We just, we just shove it out of our thoughts completely. Isn't that, isn't that true? Don't we all uh, like an ostrich buries its head? Don't we all bury our head into the ground and pretend that, that death is not going to come? And, and because we are not willing to think about death even, it happens that we also do not consider and ponder over some extremely important questions about death. I mean, any intelligent person has to engage with these questions. Any person who has any interest in life has to wonder about death and, and what happens after. What happens to us after we die? Do we just decay and, and, and fade away? Is death 
the termination of our personalities? Is there really nothing after death? Hey, we can't call ourselves intelligent and, and, and not think about these things. So, so what do you believe is going to happen after we die? And whatever you believe, what is the basis of that belief? Whatever you may believe about what's going to happen after death, what is the basis? What's the proof about what you believe after death? And are you, whatever you believe in, are you absolutely sure that that's really what's going to happen after death? And so this morning, let's talk, let's think about all the possibilities that exist. You know, I don't, I don't want to just talk about what the Bible says. I'll talk about that later, but I want to talk about all the possibilities that exist. I think broadly speaking, there are three possibilities of what could happen after death. The first possibility is that nothing, there's nothing. Death is the end. Uh, when we die, that's it. We fade out. Our consciousness dies, our personality dies, nothing exists. That's it. It's the end of us, complete, total end of us. That's the first possibility. Let's consider that possibility. Many years ago, uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, died in a bike accident. And I went with him, to, with his father, to the morgue to, to take the body. And I still remember, I cannot forget this for the rest of my life. His body was there at the morgue. His body was there, but my friend was not there. So where did my friend go if his body is still there? Does it mean that my friend no longer exists? Has my friend been terminated? Is death the end of my friend? Is there nothing really after death? If you're an atheist, if you don't believe in God, this is what you believe. If you're an atheist, you've got to believe that there is nothing after death. If you believe in the Big Bang theory of creation and in an atheistic idea of evolution and all that, then what you believe is that, hey, we are just a bunch of chemicals brought about by the random one in a trillion chance of evolution happening in a planet and all of creation. If you're an atheist, you believe we don't have a soul, we don't have a spirit, you believe we are just a bunch of chemicals. You believe that you are a bunch of chemicals, I'm a bunch of chemicals, and any friendship or love that we might enjoy with one another is just a chemical reaction happening between two bunches of chemicals. There's no meaning, there's no value, there's no truth, there's no beauty in that. If you're an atheist, you believe there's no soul, there's no spirit, there's no love. There's only random chemicals reacting over millions and trillions of years. That's what we are. That's how we came to be. Now, you might stop me right there and say, hey, no, no, no. You, I think you're going too far. What about emotions? We do have emotions. How do you explain uh, emotions? How can you say we are mere chemicals when we actually have emotions? But think about it this way. If there is no human soul, or if there, if there is no human spirit, if there is no inner being, even emotions are mere chemical reactions. We are just a bunch of atoms with no soul. If you are an atheist, then you have to believe that we are all mere matter, physical matter. 
that's one day going to just fade away after that. Our value, our worth, our significance, our meaning in life is just the value of the matter we are made of. And if indeed we are mere matter that fades away after death, do we really matter at all? We're just like a bar of soap that, that melts away into non-existence after a few showers. The bar of soap has no soul, no eternal significance. It is just chemicals. And so are we. Is that what you believe? Is, is that true? Is that what you want to happen to you? So that's the first possibility of what happens after death. Nothing. That's it. We don't matter. We are of no significance. We just go away. And, and it's, it's just blackness. That's it. The second possibility of what happens after death uh, is that somehow everyone who dies ends up in this happy place called heaven. If that's what you believe, uh, you believe there's no such thing as a hell. Uh, you basically believe that God is one giant teddy bear floating somewhere out there in space. And he, he basically cuddles everyone and he just forgives everyone. And, and he makes sure that doesn't matter what kind of a messed up life we've all led. He just makes sure this teddy bear God just makes sure, cuddles everyone and brings everyone into this, into this happy place called heaven where we are all spirits, maybe wearing diapers and, and just kind of floating around in the clouds. Uh, maybe we've sprouted wings. And, you know. So that's, hey, a lot of people believe this. A lot of people today kind of have this, especially in the new age moment, you know, everybody believes, hey, this is what's going to happen. Let's consider this possible. We're all very well-educated and comfortable and reasonably well-to-do, relatively at least compared to the rest of the billion-odd people in India. And we're doing quite well in life. And so from our standpoint, this idea of a teddy bear God who just kind of cuddles everyone to this happy place of heaven, that's a beautiful idea. That kind of sits well with us. But I want to encourage you to, for a moment, think beyond just ourselves. Speak to the woman who's been enslaved for the last 13 years in the sex trade in Kamathipura from the time she was 13 years old. Speak to her and ask her if everyone should go to heaven. Or speak to the African-Americans who were trafficked like animals, who were caught in, in nets and cages and trafficked like animals to another continent and who lived as slaves for decades and maybe even centuries. Ask them if everyone should go to heaven. Or speak to the Dalits in India's poor villages who've been wronged against, who've been sinned against, who've been discriminated against from, from good people, by good people. For centuries, ask them if everyone should go to heaven. No, they're all going to want justice for how they have been wronged. If you really believe in this teddy bear kind of a God who basically cuddles everyone to heaven, then you have to accept that you no longer believe in justice. You, you have to tell me that, hey, I don't believe in justice. I don't believe in fairness. Then I'm with you on this notion of a teddy bear kind of a God. That's the second possibility. First possibility was nothing. Second possibility was God just loves everybody into heaven. The third possibility is what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that death is not the end. 
it teaches us that all of us will be judged after death. And if we are perfect and sinless according to God's standard of judgment, we get to spend time with God for eternity. But if we are imperfect and sinful, we'll be, we will be separated from God forever and sent to a place called hell. The Bible teaches us that God is absolutely holy and absolutely perfect and he cannot tolerate any imperfection or sin or evil or wickedness. And so, which means basically that each of us, every one of us is imperfect. None of us really believes you're perfect. Every one of us who are imperfect in so many ways and every one of us sin in so many ways, it means we can never enter God's presence. It means that all of us, without exception, when we die, we're going to be separated from God forever. But God did not abandon us to that. God sent his son, Christ Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life. But he was punished on the cross, not just by men, by God himself. The death on the cross was not the punishment of men, but the punishment of God himself. God punished the Son of God on the cross, even though Jesus had no sin, had done no sin. God punished Jesus not for his sins, but because Jesus took upon his body, he took upon himself all of your sins and all of my sins. And because God punished and rejected Jesus in our place, he accepts us in Jesus' place. That's what the Bible teaches us. So, those are three options. I can't think of any other option beyond that. Which of these three options do you believe in? Are you going to believe that after death there's nothing? Do you believe that after death, you know, rapists and murderers and you know all kinds of perpetrators are all going to end up as our neighbors in this happy place called heaven? Or are you going to believe in the certainty of being with God through Jesus Christ. Now, if you if you haven't really thought of it, uh, I I really feel that as intelligent people, we have a responsibility to believe in this. Hey, this is an important question, and I'm not going to try and convince you to what to believe in, but I am going to try and convince you to believe in something. If you had to make that choice today, which of these three options would you pick? It's your call. We cannot be intelligent and say, I'm not going to pick anything. I'm not going to engage my mind on any of these. So whatever you choose to believe, of the three options, maybe there's a fourth, whatever you choose to believe, what is the basis for that belief? Where's the proof that makes what you believe correct? And I just want to talk about what I believe as a follower of Jesus and what followers of Jesus believe. And as followers of Jesus, the basis of our belief, or what we believe, the foundation of what our belief is based on the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. Look at verse 14 from the passage. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The resurrection of Jesus is the heart rational, scientific, and spiritual evidence why we believe that we too will rise from the dead and be with God forever. Now, if you ask me, hey, what do you mean scientific evidence? 
about the resurrection of Christ. I'm happy to have that conversation. There is historical evidence. And uh, that, that's a long conversation. Uh, wish I had time for that, but I don't. But I'm happy to have that conversation. Just ping me and then we can have that uh, conversation. Hey, no other religion claims that the person they believe to be God rose again from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the basis of our belief that we too will rise again from the dead and be with God forever after our death. And if you believe that there is nothing after death, what is the basis of your belief? If you believe in this happy space where we are all going to go to, what's the basis? As Christians, we know what's the basis of our belief, the resurrection of Christ Jesus. What is your basis? What are you basing that entire belief on? It's important, I think, to think about that. You know, at some point of time, all of us have to stop thinking about that bag of chips and we really have to deal with this question. What happens? after death. Now, if you're an atheist, in the New City, we always welcome all kinds of people. And this is faith, is your personal journey. You, you're welcome to make that at your pace. Hey, we can have different views, but when we're still friends, we're journeying together. So New City, you'll always find all kinds of people. And, and if you're an atheist, and if you feel I'm roasting you today, I'm going to de-roast Christians in just a little bit. Right? Let, let, me, let me talk to Christians. So we are the ones who claim to know it all. Uh, we are the ones who claim, oh, we are so sure Jesus rose again from the dead. So we are also going to rise again from the dead. You know, we, I, I'm sure you've met Christians in your life, hopefully not from New City. I'm sure you've met Christians in your life who come across as, I know it all. I'm right. You are wrong. The Bible says everything. You know, what do you know? Uh, right? So I'm not even going to listen to what you say. I'm not going to engage with it intellectually. I'm sure you've met Christians like that. Hopefully not from your city, though. Uh, so let's talk about Christians now. So Christians like myself. I'm not talking about other Christians. I'm talking about Christians like myself here. Like Christians like myself believe there's life after death. Uh, uh, I believe. Uh, I believe that because Jesus died and rose again from the dead, I'm going to rise again and have eternal life with Him. That's what I believe. But sadly, to my shame. And to our shame, I forget all about eternity and live as if all I have in this life is this, this moment. At the slightest hint of any struggle in my career, I go into depression. At the slightest hint of trouble, I get caught up with anxiety and worry. Hey, am I not the Christian who believes in eternal life that everything's going to be perfect when Jesus comes back? I'm sorry, I'm ashamed to admit that Christians like myself are not living out our faith. We are not living out the fullness of what we really believe. And I'm ashamed to admit that we too and I too am running after my bag of chips. It is to our shame. We need to change. We need to change not in our own strength, God will give us the grace to change. And I believe he's going to do that. So we need to repent. We need to acknowledge that while we have, uh, you know, we kind of, you know, feel explorers of people who are not followers of Jesus should believe, we ought to behave 
in line with our beliefs. If they're not believing, they're not behaving in line with our beliefs. So I think we need to really grow up to it. So that's the first thing I wanted to draw out for us. Uh, since how are we going to live since we know we're all going to die one day? The second thing I want to draw from the passage is how do we grieve at the moment of death? How do we grieve at the moment of death? And if you're an atheist again who does not believe in God or the human soul, you should not grieve death at all. An atheist logically should not grieve death at all because each of us are just a bunch of chemicals. We don't have a soul. We don't have a spirit. So what are we what are we grieving? Why should one bunch of chemicals grieve the passing of another bunch of chemicals? If you're an atheist, grief has no meaning. Hey, all of us use soap. A, a, a bar of soap is chemical. We use a bar of soap for a few days or a few weeks uh, until it keeps dissolving slowly, slowly. And one day the bar of soap is gone. It's dead. It's dissolved. How many of us come running out of the shower, weeping and wailing and grieving that the bar of soap is dead and gone? Do we grieve the passing of a bar of soap? We don't. Why? It's just a bunch of tentacles. No soul, no spirit, no meaning after, after death. Hey, if you really believe that there's no soul, there's no spirit, there's no life, nothing happens after death, why are we grieving death as an atheist? You should have no grief at all for death. We should just be scientific and say, bunch of chemicals gone. Grief is unscientific. Grief is not rational. Grief is irrational. So you, as an atheist, you should not feel grief. However, the reality is we all grieve death. Our grief over death is actually a great argument and perhaps even proof against atheism. Because our grief over death tells us that deep down we believe that we are more than just an accidental group of chemicals that came by a random happening over trillions of years, trillions of years of, of, of life after the Big Bang. Our grief tells us that we actually believe that there is a soul, there is a person, there is an inner being inside of the body. And grief tells us that we are mourning the loss of that soul just as we are mourning the death of our body. Deep inside, we all believe death is wrong. We all believe death is cruel. Death is just not right. That is not the way things are meant to be. And that brings us to how Christians should grieve. Those of us who believe in Jesus, not just people born in Christian families. Those of us who really believe in Jesus, how should we grieve? Look at verse 13 from the passage. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Hey, Paul is not saying that Christians should not grieve death. Paul is saying, Paul is the author of this passage, Paul is saying we should not grieve death like the rest of mankind. Paul is saying our grief as followers of Jesus is different. Is different from the griefs 
from the grief of others. How is our grief different as a follower of Jesus? Our grief is different because we are not grieving the permanent loss of a Christian friend. We are grieving a temporary separation. Our grief is over a mere temporary loss. We grieve, but we grieve with hope for what lies beyond death. And that brings us to the third and the last thing that I'd like to draw for us from this passage. How do we hope for what lies beyond death? How do we hope for what lies beyond death? Look at verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's how Paul finishes his chapter. Encourage one another with these words. So what's the encouragement offered in these words? And that's there in verse 14, which we've been looking at. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. As followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven is coming back one day from heaven. He's coming back to be here on earth with us and make this earth beautiful and perfect all over once again. And we believe, as this verse says, when he comes back, when Jesus comes back, Jesus is not coming back alone. This verse promises us that when Jesus is coming back, he is coming back with those who have fallen asleep in him. And this offers us two kinds of hope. First, it offers us the hope of glorious communality. Second, it offers us the hope of glorious individuality. The hope of glorious communality and the hope of glorious individuality. Let me, let me talk about both before, before I close. Let me first talk about the glory, the, the hope of glorious communality. Communality just means community, living in community. The hope of living in community. Verse 14 tells us when Jesus comes back, he will bring back with him every single person in all of history who have died after believing in Jesus. So every husband or wife or father or mother or sister or brother or friend who we have lost to death after they believed in Jesus, we are going to be reunited with all of them when we are reunited with Jesus, when Jesus comes back. Jesus assures us that we will be reunited with everyone who believes in him. This is the hope of glorious communality. Don't you want this? Every atheist who's lost her father, brother, mother, sister wants this. Jesus is making this available to everyone. The second hope that we have because of the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus is this hope of glorious individuality. You know, a lot of people who kind of believe in the second option, some kind of a vague life after death, uh, you know, some kind of a vague uh, way in which our consciousness is going to be merged with this consciousness of another vague supreme being in the cosmos called God. Yeah, you know, this is quite popular. Many religions teach this. 
in the in the new age kind of philosophy this is quite common you know there's there's no wrong there's no right there's no sin god's never going to punish uh, you know this body is just going away it means nothing what matters is this complete union with with the cosmos and we, it's quite appealing i must uh, I, i must say uh, and a lot of people who who in this age right now uh, who, who don't really functionally believe in god it's true of us it's true of our colleagues uh, and that's the world we live in uh, you know we don't really functionally believe in god they're not atheists these people are not going to say no i'm, I'm an atheist they're not going to say i'm an atheist i don't believe in god but they don't functionally believe in god life is just too busy for these people to think seriously about god hey i'm not mocking them this is true of us as well christians also live life too busy to think about jesus right so we are all on, on the same boat and uh, and and if this is you if this is what you kind of you know vaguely hope for that in some notion of your consciousness being merged with the consciousness of another way supreme being called god you know that a lot of people believe in that and that they believe in that so that they don't have to deal with the real questions around them now if you believe in this i am sorry with due respect sir with due respect madam this is a very unsatisfactory ending for me i will not accept this god created me uniquely and specifically as an individual i celebrate my individuality and i cannot accept the god who gives me an individuality but takes it away for me to be merged with millions of other souls losing the essence of who i am this new age idea of all us all being merged into one cosmic whatever i don't i don't want to lose my individuality do you do you want to lose who you are your personality your your dreams your desires your hopes your aspirations your ambitions do you want to lose all of that and just be merged along with a trillion other souls into some weird being i don't want to do that i don't want a god who who kind of takes away my individuality on the other hand i want a god who values and cherishes and celebrates the individuality with which he created me for the rest of eternity how on a god who created me as an individual as a unique special beautiful individual and i want a god who is going to make sure that i keep my individuality for the rest not just for the rest of my life but the rest of all eternity only jesus promises only jesus when he comes again promises that when he comes again and we will rise with him we will rise as individuals we will rise as who we are when we live here on earth only jesus only only christianity as a true religion not as an empty religion only jesus faith in jesus promises that if you if in, in our death and in our eventual resurrection through faith in jesus our individual identity is preserved for eternity and not only that faith in jesus is the only religious construct in the world which also promises that it's not just our soul or our spirit that's going to rise again from the dead we will have a resurrection with our physical bodies the sense of touch smell taste sight physicality of our bodies only christianity as a religion speaks about a physical resurrection body mind soul of wholesome 
resurrection of our being. Our individuality being preserved for eternity in every way. This is the hope of glorious individuality. Only Jesus offers us the hope of glorious communality and only Jesus offers us the hope of glorious individuality. As I close this morning, please join with me just one last time to consider the grief of death. Last week, I knew a pastor. He was pastoring a church in Bandra. Uh, his son, a wonderful young man, he got married two years ago. He was not very close. He was just an acquaintance. Um, we knew him well enough. He just got married two years ago. And uh, I could see uh, how joyful and how happy they were in their marriage. They kind of just seemed so right, so beautiful for each other, husband and wife, uh, young. They were both in their 30s. And this man went, his son, I won't mention his name, uh, I want to respect their, their families, uh, right to grieve by themselves in this moment. He, he went to a building, the building fell, and he died. His wife was in the car outside the building. She tried to save him. She couldn't. He, and he died. He passed away. All of 30, married for less than two years. Death brings grief. What will you tell his wife? What will you tell his father and mother and sister who, who dearly love them? How can you console them? Death is the greatest and the ultimate catastrophe. It's the greatest and the ultimate catastrophe. The dictionary defines the word catastrophe as an event causing great and unusually sudden grief and damage or suffering. Catastrophe. That is what death is. It's the most cruel catastrophe ever. Does the English language have an opposite for the word catastrophe? If you consider yourself to enjoy your English, does the English language have an opposite for the word catastrophe? It doesn't. Have you ever wondered why? Language does not have an opposite for the word catastrophe because it is just too delightful to imagine. The opposite of the word catastrophe is just too delightful to imagine. And so it took a dreamer like J.R.R. Tolkien, the, the author of the Lord of the Rings series, to coin a word that is the opposite of the word catastrophe. And so Tolkien coined the word you catastrophe. Google it up. You catastrophe. You catastrophe means a sudden and a delightful turn of events or a rapturously joyful, ecstatic, ecstatic ending. Unexpected joy, unexpected delight. You catastrophe is the opposite of catastrophe. It death is the ultimate catastrophe of sorrow. The second coming of Christ Jesus and his believers being united with him is the ultimate new catastrophe of joy and inexpressible delight. When we believe in Jesus, 
the catastrophe of death is not the end. A great and glorious new catastrophe of eternal life awaits us. If this morning you're feeling your heart moving towards Jesus, if you don't consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian or a believer, this morning, if you find your heart moving towards Jesus, just believe in him and freely receive this new catastrophe of eternal life that only Jesus can give. Let us pray. Father, we acknowledge that faith is not something that we can create or manufacture by ourselves in our hearts. We acknowledge that faith is a gift of God, a gift of this Holy Spirit. Today, if we are to believe in Jesus, your Holy Spirit needs to come and move in our hearts. And so we pray, Lord, would you help every one of us here not slip away into the catastrophe of death? Would you help every one of us receive by faith freely and grow into the new catastrophe of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.